one does not simply fly into Mordor. The eagles are at no one's beck and call. Nor could you find a more obvious method of travel. My Govanen. This is the Tolkien Geek for the Tolkien Lore channel, and as you can guess, I am in this video going to debunk a common myth that all they really had to do was fly on the eagles to Mordor and they could have finished the quest in a matter of days. This is a kind of a popular trope among uh, the internet these days, and uh, one of the more popular renditions of it is in the How It Should Have Ended video for The Lord of the Rings, which I'll link to in the description below. Uh, the basic premise is, you know, there's all these eagles out there that are capable of carrying man-sized uh, people, and so why not just have the eagles fly Frodo to Mount Doom and have him drop the ring in, save all the trouble, make the entire thing easy, and the whole thing's over in a matter of, you know, days if that. Well, there are several reasons why that doesn't actually make any sense, two of which I've mentioned in the humorous intro bit. Of course, one of them being it is an obvious method of travel. It's, you know, the the idea that Sauron is going to miss a flock of eagles traveling uh, directly toward his country is absurd. I mean, he's he's got his palantir that he can use to survey pretty much all of Middle-earth, and he's not going to miss that. The other point that I mentioned is, of course, that eagles don't just answer to anybody. They don't show up because somebody calls them. They really only show up on their own initiative. They don't, you know, they don't answer to anybody other than the Valar, which, if you don't know about the Valar, you need to read the Silmarillion, but I'll, I'll kind of explain that a little bit. But there's also a third reason that I will get to a little bit later. I don't want to really spoil it just yet. <clears throat> but anyway, that's kind of where this video is going. So, first reason, the eagles don't really answer to anybody. They, um, they answer to a Vala named Manwe Sulimo, who in Tolkien's mythology is kind of... The Valar are basically equivalent to what you might think of as Greek gods, except they're not gods. They're high-level angels, more like um, uh, some kind of a high-level angel in more of a Catholic or Jewish understanding of the hierarchy of angels. Uh, but they have traits that are similar to Greek gods. So Manwe Sulimo is associated with wind, the weather, eagles, that sort of thing. So he's uh, the eagles are essentially his servants in Middle-earth, they do his bidding to the extent that they do anybody's bidding at all. And thus, they show up when they're needed, not really when anybody calls for them, because nobody even really can call for them. There's there's no real way to do that, because they live at the tops of mountains that nobody can reach. They're inaccessible. Uh, so right off the bat, you've got that problem. Of course, some people have gone so far as to say that, uh, you know, why didn't Gandalf just tell why here, when he picked him up off the tower of Orthanc and rescued him from Saruman, why didn't he tell him, hey, by the way, we've got this need to go to Mordor to dump this ring into Mount Doom. Can you help us out? Well, again, that kind of gets into the idea that they don't really answer to anybody. Plus, <clears throat> it kind of leads into the second topic, which is Flying eagles all the way to Mordor is a pretty obvious method of getting there. The entire point of the quest was to be secret. You know, it doesn't really pay to be, you know, extremely obvious. And you could argue 
both ways, I suppose, on whether it would be effective despite its obviousness. The thing is, we know the Nazgul have flying steeds. We don't ever really see in the Lord of the Rings an outright battle between eagles and um, Nazgul such that we can tell who would win because the only time they really come into direct conflict is when at the Battle of the Black Gate, the eagles finally show up at kind of the last minute and almost immediately after that, uh, Frodo claims the ring has his own in Mount Doom, and of course the Nazgul fly off to try to stop him from dropping it into the fire. So we don't really know how that battle would turn out. But even if we could be fairly certain that the Eagles would win that battle, that still leaves open the question of, would it be too risky? Because let's imagine the Eagles could get all the way into Mordor over Mount Doom, the Nazgul are still going to be able to put up a fight. They may not win in the end, but in the midst of a air battle between eagles and pterodactyls, I mean, we don't really know exactly what they are, and but in a fight between those two in the middle of the air, what's going to happen to the ring? You know, if the Nazgul simply focus all their energy on trying to take whoever has the ring they're more than likely going to be at least somewhat successful. That might mean that the ring falls before they get to Mount Doom. It might mean that it gets lost. I mean, there's there's really no way to know. I mean, it would be almost impossible to be absolutely certain that nothing bad like that happens. So the minute you even try to do something that obvious, you're risking the defeat of the entire quest. Now, of course, you're always risking the defeat of the quest, but at least with the you know, marching on foot idea, you're keeping the level of secrecy as much as you can, and the secrecy is really, as explained more fully in the books, the real key to the quest. It's, so long as the mission is secret, it has a real shot, and that's kind of one thing that's emphasized in the books more so than in the movies, but it's still true in the movies because you can tell that they're always trying to find ways that aren't watched. They're trying to find a way to get to Mordor where they're not going to be noticed. That's why they hide from the Kerbine or the crows that uh, are scouring the area for Saruman. So that, that, I think, is reason enough why you couldn't just fly the eagles into Mordor. But the third reason that I wanted to get to is what I think is really the more important So the third reason why you couldn't just fly Frodo into Mordor has to do with whether he would succeed regardless of all the other things that I've already mentioned. Even if you could assure that Frodo would have a clean shot at dropping the ring into Mount Doom, he would probably fail the quest regardless. And the reason I say that is for the same reason that Gollum is the one that had to finish the quest in the first place. In in the movie, of course, what happens is Gollum takes the ring and then Frodo tries to fight him to get it back. That's a messy redo of the more proper ending, which in the book, is that Gollum takes the ring and then he's just so exuberant over the fact that he's recovered it that he dances around and falls off himself. But the key thing here is Frodo was unable to complete the quest at the time that he reached Mount Doom. Why? Well, of course, the lure of the ring. The whole point of the ring is that it tends to make you want it, right? Everybody who possesses the ring wants to keep possessing the ring. Nobody really wants to throw it away. And it took 
Bilbo almost all of his effort to leave the ring to somebody that he really cared about, Frodo. Gandalf refused the ring because he knew that if he had it, he would want to use it for good purposes, but ultimately be corrupted. And the real key point here is, if you pay attention to the story where, and again, this is something that the, the movies kind of skip over, so if you haven't read the book, you, you won't really get this point. In the book, when Gandalf comes back to talk about the ring with Frodo, he tells him, of course, that the ring needs to be destroyed, and then Frodo says, well, why don't we just do it? And it's kind of like the scene in the movie at the Council of Elrond where, you know, Gimli says, well, what are we waiting for? But, of course, without an axe, uh, the only thing you really had available was a fire. And Gandalf basically tells Frodo, well, try now. I mean, throw it in the fire. And so Frodo takes the ring out of his pocket. He looks at it, and after a minute or two of thinking about it, he finds that he has actually put it back into his pocket without even really trying to. And then the story notes that Gandalf laughs rather grimly and basically says, see, even now, you can't bring yourself to do it, even though you know all the stuff that I've just told you. And even though there's no way your fire would even really melt the thing, which he even points out, it would his, his little fire in his hearth wouldn't even melt real gold. So Frodo, with no risk of actually damaging the ring, in the safety of his own home where he could recover it, easily can't bring himself to put the ring into a small fire which couldn't possibly do it any damage. The quest has already failed. That's really the key point I'm getting at here. There was no possible way the quest was going to succeed on those grounds. The premise behind the way the quest is set up is you have a bunch of people going to Mount Doom together which and in the hopes, basically, that when you finally do get there, you can throw it in. There's no guarantee that you will be able to. But, much like many things in life where we kind of have to build up our resistance or build up our willpower to do something, if you go on a long quest toward an end like that, and then you finally reach the end, one hopes that your willpower will have developed over time, and that at the end, you'll end up with the ability to put the ring in the fire. Now, no guarantees, of course, and nobody really talks about the possibility of, well, what if we get there and Frodo can't throw in the ring? You know, nobody talks about that. But it's a good enough reason to think that if the Eagles had just flown Frodo to Mordor, he wouldn't have been able to throw the ring into the fire for the same reason he couldn't throw it into his own hearth. And another key point on this topic is in... Uh, the letters of J.R.R. Tolkien, edited by Humphrey Carpenter, which I will link to in the description, Tolkien mentions in one of his letters that uh, Frodo was basically caught in a near-perfect trap. Anybody with more native power or ability than Frodo would have been tempted to take the ring for himself long before that. Anybody with less native power than Frodo would not have been able to resist the ring at the final moment. So Frodo, the way Tolkien words this, might have been just at that perfect point on the line between greater power and lesser power where he could have potentially done it if he had really, really strained his willpower. Whether it was because he had been through so much suffering that was not really expected 
as part of the journey or whether it was because there really is no fine line where you can be at a perfect point in between. Tolkien doesn't really explain. But the point is, if you're not going to be able to do one or the other, then just getting there faster isn't going to solve the problem. And this kind of goes back to what I said about the Eagles not being at anybody's beck and call. One of the other things that Tolkien points out in his letters is uh, that Frodo actually has one thing on his side that nobody else really does have on his side, and that's a form of providence. So the idea that Tolkien had in this, in the whole story, is basically that Frodo does what he can. He takes the ring to Mount Doom. He was capable of doing that, and he did it. Probably not capable of actually throwing it into the fire. But because he went as far as he possibly could, Providence could then step in and have the quest finished for him, in this case by Gollum attacking him and taking the ring from him. So the idea is if Frodo hadn't gone through with all the things that he was capable of doing and knew what was his duty to do, Providence wouldn't have stepped in. Because, in, and of course this kind of goes back to Tolkien's Catholic worldview, there's such a thing as providence in his in his mythology mythological world because there is a god and there are angels that you know play into how the events in the world play out and they don't simply make all the good things happen for the good people the good people have to actually work toward those goals themselves they can't just rely on manwe or the other valar or even eru Iluvatar, who is the uh, the god who creates the the angels or the Valar, they can't just say, well, they'll just make sure everything happens all right, and so we just get to sit here. It's kind of the old idea of God helps those who helps themselves. And so in Tolkien's worldview and his mythological worldview, you actually have to put forth your own effort before providence will kick in and say, okay, you did what you could, and now I'll finish what you couldn't do yourself. So if you take all these three things together, they actually come together pretty well, and I think give a really good example of why you can't just fly Frodo to Mordor. There's too many things about Tolkien's world that don't make that work. And, you know, you can criticize that on any grounds you want, but it's Tolkien's world. He gets to make up the rules. And one of the things that he points out about fantasy and fairy story in general is Fairy story doesn't have to be true to our world. It just has to be true in its own world. And in his world, that's the way it works. So that's why the Eagles couldn't just fly Frodo to Mount Doom. Now, if you think that I've left out anything positive or negative as far as my explanation goes, please comment in below. If you like the video, please like, share, and please subscribe. Uh, you can also follow me at Twitter at JRRTLore. And until next time, this is the Tolkien Geek signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namariye.